Solutions is deliberate. It's intended for us to reflect and consider. Um, and that's what we'll do. Genesis 39 says this. Now Joseph uh, had been brought uh, down to Egypt. And Potiphar, uh, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from uh, the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. The title of this sermon is, Is the Lord With You? So Joseph found favor in, the, in his sight and attended to him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer uh, in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master has no concern of anything in the house, and he has put me in charge of everything that he has, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day... When he went into the house to do the work, none of the men of the house were in the house. So she caught him by the garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, See, he has brought, us, brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He uh, came into me to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and he fled out of the house. Now, as soon as the master heard these words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled against Joseph. And Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place of the king's prisoners, where he was confined, and there he was in prison. And the Lord was with Joseph and showed his steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. 
Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was the Lord's uh, in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made him to succeed. You notice the way it started and the way it ended particularly. We're told that the Lord was with Joseph and that everything he did succeeded. And at the end, we're told that the Lord was with Joseph and that everything he did succeeded. Last week, I was around a campfire uh, with some friends. And um, it was fun. Uh, It was a nice time of the year for that kind of thing. And uh, the leaves are all changing, of course. It's a cool, crisp evening. Uh, the, uh, the smell of uh, the rich scent of a burning fire just is uh, filling the air. And as the sun was setting, it was beginning to get dark. And someone had uh, the idea uh, that now would be a good time to tell a scary story. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. Um, and there were some small children around. And uh, one uh, person, a creative person among us, took a flashlight, put it under his face, and began to... Uh, uh, spin a tail uh, of a monster. And uh, it was pretty creative for being uh, off the cuff, no planning at all, just pulling out a monster story, wondering well, what kind of friends do I have that have monster stories uh, perfectly formed in their head like that. Um, but the kids, as you watch them watch uh, the story unfold, their eyes were getting big. And uh, for them, it was taking an effect. It was getting dark, story. And then eventually one of the mothers stepped in and said, now monsters aren't real. Uh, because probably because she wanted to go to bed that night. Um, and uh, the story transitioned and, and, and that was it. But I noticed that story didn't affect the adults at all. Um, they thought it was funny. And uh, it really wasn't that scary for them. What's scary though for adults, what's scary are things that are real. right? A story like that might not touch you or I. But the scary things in life, such as the trials, the tragedies, uh, and the torments of this life, those are real. And they're very real. Many of you have been touched by them. Many of us will be touched by them again. And so when you hear of those stories, young or old alike, your eyes start to open. You become a little nervous. These are real monster stories. Some of these things might be financial ruin, divorce, loss of a job, entering into deep depression. Who hasn't done that? Who isn't in that now? Substance abuse, drugs and alcohol addiction, things that are you looking to self-medicate your own torment. Calamity and catastrophe. Our life is full of fatal accidents. The scary thing of it all is this. It's the whisper, as if it were around a campfire, like a story. A whisper of just one word into that kind of darkness is what could make anyone afraid. And the word is, why? And you can't say it. You can't say, well, why? Because you say it too loudly, the fear is gone. Because someone might hear you asking, why? 
and then you'll rise to the occasion to give a good Bible answer. Well, you know, um, suffering can happen, but God's with me. It's not so fearful that way. But if it's whispered in the middle of your suffering and torment, that it's whispered, why? Now that is scary. Because the whisper reflects your conscience when no one else is around and you're in the middle of a particular trial. Whispering into that darkness is the counsel within your own self as you feel that pain again. Why? Why is this happening to me? This pain flares up the conscience in which other things begin to be whispered to your mind. Why is this happening to me? Did I do something to deserve this? Do you know these thoughts? Is God with me? Does he oppose me? Has he cursed me? This incessant conscious voice of the mind. Here's Joseph. His life seems to be getting better. He was abused by his brothers and put into slavery. But it seems as though things are going well. Things are getting better for him. It seems as that good fortune has come his way. He is now inside of the commander of the armies of Pharaoh, his house. It's pretty high up. He's doing very well for himself. And this confidence is completely broken in the fact that from that position, he is thrown straight in to prison. And you have to wonder, if you were in an analogous situation, that Joseph is locked up in this jail cell, why? Why, Lord, have you brought me here again? The questions are, does God hate me? Maybe my brothers were right about me. Maybe those dreams were just imaginative pretensions. And I'm an arrogant fool for offending everyone around me. And God is rebuking me. He's judging me. He's put me in this prison yet again because I think I'm someone special. He has all the time in the world with no one else around in prison to have those whispers upon him in the midst of his trial, his tragedy. Please, someone nod their head that you know what I'm talking about. If I'm Baptist church, this would be the amen time. Like, yes, I get it. Thank you. Okay, I'm not just preaching to myself today. Thank you. Those are the moments when your conscience is flared up. Pain. Like it's a pain to the body and flames your joints and it just, it causes you to draw attention to that elbow. When pain enters your life, when tragedy is there, you, these are the questions that come. And they don't come loud. They come quietly, privately. When you think you went through the grief, when you think you went through that particular trial, it's the whisper. Why? Why? Why me? Why Lord? And he has all the time in prison to think these thoughts to himself. Maybe you've been imprisoned by these thoughts. 
Maybe the thought came to him, you will die in this prison. This is your fatal fate. So it's not monsters. It's not ghosts in the unaccounted corners of our dark bedrooms. What we deal with is demons. And demons in the scriptures are real. 1 Corinthians 10.20 says, The Gentiles who sacrifice, they sacrifice and offer to idols. And they do not offer to God what they actually are offering is to demons. In the ancient world, I want to introduce you to two of these uh, particular type of demons. One uh, was called the Fates. And another one was called the Goddess of Fortune. These were false gods in the ancient world that Paul says were actually the worship of demons. They're deep in the subconscious of the mind. Whatever culture it is, there's analogous gods for like this in the Greek culture, analogous gods for like this in Indian culture, Roman culture. It's deep in the mind that you have to internalize your toil, your trials in this life. And these demons come and they're all too happy to come to you in those moments and begin to whisper in your ear. The fates... They were called the Marai in the Roman cult. Particularly, if you've seen the image, it's an image of three women, these fates were. They would spin on a spindle, a thread. And a thread represented your life. And so they would spin on a spindle this thread, which was the thread of your existence, the time of your days. They fated you. They determined everything about you. You couldn't escape them. They were more powerful than all the gods. They could even fate Zeus himself. Or Mars. The god of war. The most powerful three little women. In the pantheon. The first. Little demon's name was. Clotho. She's the one that would spin. On the spindle. The thread of someone's life. And weave the fabrics together to make a strand. Lachesis was the second woman who drew out the thread from the spindle. And she would appoint, decree, you say, lots on that thread of events and things that will happen in your life that you cannot avoid. And then there was Atropos. She was the one with the scissors. And she would determine the end of your thread. The time in which you would be over. Your life would be cut off. These deterministic little lies that were made up to try to explain this life. To be fated. To be determined. To be bound by someone who doesn't love you. Care for you. That the laws of the universe have to be pressed upon you. And your life has to be carried out in this deterministic way. And the only hope you might have is another goddess. Another woman named Fortuna. Fortune. That if she, this blindfolded woman. That's presented in the pantheon. Who has a horn. uh, Full of food and good things. Which is a cornucopia. It's an image that we get every year at Thanksgiving. That horn that gives out all of these great things. But she's blindfolded. She just distributes them willy-nilly across the whole entire humanity. That, that maybe the woman, the goddess of fortune, Lady Luck, could give you something good in your life. Maybe that could be a way to go. 
See, today, that same reality applies. Apart from understanding the one true and living God, there is a web, a, 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 a thread that is spun in our world that these lies exist at this moment in which we have a naturalistic evolution, Darwinian evolution determinism. The very, see, it's changed from just being this idea of a thread spun to the idea that the helix of your DNA is your genetics and epigenetics and determining the whole course of your life and that you are nothing more than the random chance of impersonal forces acting upon your life so that you would actually be determined that your life, that you will get heart disease because of your genetics at this time and the scissors were cut, that you will get cancer at this time and the scissors were cut, that that thing that will happen because of all the interconnections of everyone's actions will result in some car accident that will take your loved one and that was the cutting of the scissors and there was nothing behind it but blind determinative chance luck that is determinated that's the same world we live in except for the mythical gods you understand in our present world those who live in this type of false scientific worldview worship the same false gods of determinism and fatalism. And those gods will whisper lies to you in your prison chambers of torment in this life. Those gods will have nothing to give Joseph as he's locked away for the second time in his life in Potiphar's prison. Is God with me? We can say, if we say it, is God with you? Well, yes, God is with me. Because he's everywhere and He's with me. And that's what we say because we're Christians. But if someone were to whisper to you, is God with you? When no one else is around to hear your answer. That personal conviction. To know that God is with you in his promises. He's with you not just as in the way he's with everybody all the time. But he is with you in his love. He is with you in his goodness, his promises in Christ. Romans 8. Therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That verse will break through any lie that comes upon your mind in the midst of every context that would make you think that God is not for me. That would make you think there's surely in this reason now God definitely has abandoned me. You speak to those lies with the reality that in Christ there is no condemnation. You are not allowed to interpret one moment of your life as God's condemnatory judgment of you in Christ. You are never permitted to entertain those whispers. There are lies. There are satanic they are an imagination of your own mind. Or they even are other spirits impressing upon you. But it is not of the Lord. It is not of the Spirit. It is not of Christ. Therefore there is no condemnation for you. For the law of the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. And the law of pagan determinism. The laws of the universe. The laws of the thread. You are free from this. You are free why? Sending his own son 
In the likeness of our sinful flesh, he has condemned sin in his flesh. Therefore, you cannot be condemned, you see. You are not condemned, not simply just because you tell yourself you're not condemned. You are not condemned because God has already condemned sin in his own son. There is no way you could be condemned. There is no condemnation left for you to have. How beautiful to know the one true and living God, especially when you're in the prison, whether it be the prison of drug abuse, depression, despair, trial, loss of loved one, cancer, disease, and death, whatever would bind you, wherever the Lord will fall your life, as he did with Joseph, you are free to be free in that prison of trial to know it is not condemnatory. It is not God against you. In Christ, you are free. You are free. Therefore we know. Paul goes on to say in Romans 8. We know. This banishes every whisper it is left. All things work together for the good. Of those who love God. And are called according to his purpose. And. So that you understand, it's very hard to understand scripture sometimes and you need maybe a pastor to explain it. All things means all things. It's not the intellectual interpretation that's hard. It's the personal. I understand what those words mean. But you don't read those in prison and still understand. Except at another level. All things. All things, all things you can imagine, he will use it for your good. He promises that to you. You see, this word can excise any demon from your mind. You are free. The profound personal conviction, whichever way the spindle of your life is spun, The personal narrative and the experiences and trials that you have or have waiting for you. God is with you in Christ. He is with you. He is lovingly disposed towards you. This is what we're told of Joseph. In verse 2 it opens up by saying that the Lord was with Joseph. He became a successful man. Fortune. Lady Luck smiled upon him. No. But God was with him and he was successful. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. Verse 3, we're told again. His master saw that the Lord was with him. And that everything he did and touched with his hands succeeded. Fortune. Joseph... Verse 4, found favor in the sight of his master. And he was made overseer of all his house and put in charge of everything that he had. From the beginning, you need to see how this stage is set and the story is laid out. That the Lord is with Joseph and he had success. And the Lord was with Joseph and he had success. And the master saw that the Lord was with Joseph. And he was given even more favor and more success and more power and more control. Everything is going well for the Lord is with Joseph. And Joseph's life is going really well. 
That makes sense. Everybody thinks that way. Every world religion can at least do that. Prosperity gospel can at least go that far. The Lord is with you. How do you know? Things are going well. Things are going well for me. The Lord is with Joseph in what context though? Look at this. For service. Everything in Joseph's life is service. He's serving his father. As a premier servant above all his brothers. Faithful to his father. He's in the life of Potiphar. Serving Potiphar as a slave in whatever capacity he would wish. And even as he's thrown in prison, what next? Serving the jail master. In his new state in life, he just serves. Everywhere he goes, he serves. Joseph is a servant. He is a servant who saves. He is a servant who has God's very covenantal presence with him in the midst of his service. Do you see how Christians should live their lives? Do you see what God is calling you to? He has given you particular spiritual blessings and promises to be with you. All spiritual blessings in the heavens above. But also, until you get to those heavens above, until you'd be with him in that perfect glory. He's also with you now to serve, to sacrifice, to die to yourself, to love others, to love others and to love God more than you'd even love yourself. God is with you in that. Try it out. Maybe it will work out this way for you. Maybe there will be wonderful things and doors open. I love it how Christians always complain about how the culture is this way and the culture is that way. And then they always try to disengage from the culture because politics is dirty and all this other stuff. It's like, did you ever think about maybe going in to serve? Look what Joseph did, and he happens to be looking for the city of God, and he happens to be pretty high in the city of men, and he's not even really trying to be. He's just serving. He's just serving, you see. He's in the empire of the world, which is not the new Zion. That's not Egypt. But he's doing pretty well in it if he's not even trying. Serve. Love. Maybe Jesus was right when he said the two greatest commandments is to love God and just love everybody. Egyptians, Babylonians. Love them all. Lower yourself before them. Wash their feet. Wash their feet. Jesus says, hi, your master have come and wash your feet. You don't even know what I did for you yet. The Lord was with him this way. Authority follows with responsibility. Those who take on responsibility also receive authority. Because they're taking on the work. And Joseph was the guy that would do that. He understood this principle. The Lord was with him not only to serve the Lord was with him in genuine, genuine communion. See, this is different than just having a religion or knowing of a God. He knew the one true and living God. He had communion with him. We really know this because how would you know if you really know the one true and living God? You'll be drawing close to the Lord. How do you know? Because you're drawing away from sin. If you are drawing away from sin, repenting from sin in your life, you by consequent are actually moving toward holiness. If you are looking at all these sins in your life and trying to get them away, you could even be backing yourself up into the glory of God, walking closer to the Lord. Because everything contrary to the nature of God, sin is any want of conformity unto God's nature. If you're going away from all this sin, you're moving toward the holiness, the glory of God. So this is a godly man. We know he walks with the Lord because he hates sin. Joseph is handsome, we're told, in form and appearance. He looks good, he's strong, he's obviously capable, intelligent, a smart person who can arise. 
And even in comparison to his own master, he's the one doing all these things. And for whatever reason, the master's wife, Potiphar's wife, likes a guy that knows stuff and can do stuff. And is attracted to him. We're told that her eyes fell upon him. She said, lie with me. And he refused. Now why? See, my master has no concern about anything, he tells her. He's put everything he has in my charge. There's no one greater than I in this kingdom. He has not kept anything from me except you. How could I sin against my God? Do you see how he knows the reality of this whole situation? It would seem to stand that Potiphar is the one that gave him all these things. Potiphar is the one that gave him fortune, gave him blessing. But it is not true. Truly, this came from the Lord. Not the goddess of fortune. Not Potiphar or his position. It came from my God. All these things that have been given. How could I sin against another man's wife to sin against that man? No. How could I sin against him? Everything I have has been given to me from him. He understands really what this is. He understands the one true and living God. That it is he who gives blessings and is he who takes them away. That everything is related to him. So how could you resist or overcome sins in your life? It does not work horizontally. If you have sins you want to remove or sins you want to have power over, you will not find that power on this earth. You cannot just reason your way into being a good guy because it affects for other people and how it would be treating other people. That's good. You can be a moral upstanding citizen that way, but you will not be worshiping the one true God. If you will not sin because of him vertically, because you love him, you have fellowship and communion with him, and you don't want to compromise that. The power of sin mitigates tremendously. You can always reason maybe a little sin here and a little sin here because horizontally that person won't know and this person won't care. But if you want to be holy, you have to look up and say, I could not sin because of him. He sees it all and he is my sustenance, my life, my joy. He is my treasure. He is my God. If you're looking that way, then all of a sudden, how could I? How could I do anything? Apart from him. There's power to temper the lusts of our soul. So Joseph did pass this test. He passed it well. If we were written in a story, it would be good to be written this way. Joseph passed this test, but he failed to gain fortune. Lady Luck didn't smile his way. The determinations of his thread have landed him in prison. She spoke day after day. Lie with me, lie with me. He resists again and again. He enters the house one day when there's no other men around. She comes, lays hold of his garment and says, lie with me. And he runs and leaves his garment behind. Joseph and his garments, they're always getting him in trouble. It's left as false evidence for him. And so he lay, she lays it by her side. Husband comes home and says, look, that Hebrew you brought into our house. Look what he's done. He tried to rape me and I cried out and he ran. And here he left his garment by my side. 
Potiphar is furious and throws him in prison. The demons, the lies of thinking that God could have abandoned him or you. The fact that this one true God remains is in verse 21. The perseverance of his presence. As he's in prison, we are told the same thing we were told at the beginning. That the Lord was with Joseph. And he showed his steadfast love to Joseph. And he gave him favor. And he gave him charge. And he gave him position. And the very last verse tells us again, the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, he made him succeed. He gave him fortune. Now the oxymoron of that is he's in prison. And he is successful. Because God is with him. And God has promised precious and very great promises. And he is doing very well. Now, you might say, well, that's good for Joseph. He passed his test, you see. He did well on that. See, his garment was still a perfectly white moral garment he left in the woman's hand. No stain, no compromise on his clothes. He'd rather walk naked than sin against his God. But I can't relate to that story. God was with him and blessed him and gave him favor and all he did. But then again, he passed his tests. You might be asking, how could I take this upon my life? What if I haven't passed my test? What if the things in my life, well, are because of failing? God has turned his face from me. That he has brought turmoil and struggle upon me. You need to hear the gospel. You need to hear it again today. And I would say it is the gospel of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. But today we have the gospel of Perez. Can you relate to Judah? The one before this story who didn't pass his test? Maybe Joseph's robe, that multicolored robe, distinguishes him from all his brothers. Maybe you've never worn a robe like that before. Your sexual life, maybe you didn't leave your garment behind. Maybe you stayed. The Gospel of Perez. It wasn't through Joseph that Christ came. Judah and Tamar. All their lustful sexual sins, you see. And a child broke out. A breach named Perez. That's how he came in. The Lord has come in to our life through that route. Do you see Joseph's lineage goes off in Genesis? It goes off to a great pleasant ending. 
but it doesn't lead to Jesus. That was last week. Can you relate to that one, Judah and Tamar? That's the one Jesus cares about to come in. He has broken through. He has broken through. You need to hear that the Lord has broken through your sin. So that when you are in the midst of trial and darkness, and you have every good reason to think this is God's displeasure upon your life, and the Satan, who is the accuser, has every good reason to accuse you before the Lord. You have a faithful and high priest who intercedes on your behalf, who has come through the lineage of Perez, that is, the spindle of Jesus' life. The lineage of his life, his very DNA is connected to the incestuous relationship of Perez. You see, he has broken through those sins so that when he comes to you, he can actually say that you have no condemnation. In the midst of your jail sentence or the trials of your life, he with the same DNA linked to Perez and all the sins of humanity can stand there and say, you don't have condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. The sinful flesh of Perez. The DNA of Perez. The life wire of his body. Jesus has come through that lineage so that in the flesh he would condemn sin in that flesh. So that in your trials you know that Joseph's story is not leading that way. It was the one that failed. It was the one that didn't pass the test. That all those blessings, all that spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is given to you that it has to work out for your good. That's the gospel. That's the real gospel. Joseph is there just to make you feel bad about yourself. And I hope you do. All his brothers didn't like him. Because they tried to compare themselves to him. But what if they were just supposed to learn from him? What if you're supposed to know that he came through Perez? Perez means to break through. He has broken through your sin. He has broken through your condemnation. Everything in your life is for your good. Dear Father God, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we understand that you have broken through. Father, we, in this moment now, as we prepare to take communion, what we do, Lord, is we recommit our lives to you. And we mean it in sincerity and truth. Lord, help us to mean it as earnestly as we do by your spirit right now. In Jesus' name, amen.